I'm going to move my water because I know I make people very nervous when I put it on the floor just there. Hey, there we go. Right. Strategic development. Yes. This is not spreadsheets and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah. Oy. Some of us like spreadsheets. All right. Um, <laughs> so... Um, we've had a kind of like a little bit of a, um, a rethink about what the leadership structure looks like at the Lighthouse. And um, as part of that, um, what we've done as a leadership team is sort of prayed and thought about who would be good for different areas um, to kind of like not be in charge of, not kind of like top down, talk down, all that kind of stuff, but to just kind of oversee certain areas of the church. Um, and I've been invited and very honored to um, look after a, a part of the church called strategic development. So what does that mean? Well, a, a lot of the other areas have got a bit of legacy to them. So um, the pastoral side has got loads of stuff going on. The, the community stuff has got loads of stuff going on. There are these kind of like legacy things that are going on. But strategic development is like a new part of what we're doing. Um, and uh, it's something that I, I think brings together a few different areas. So I'm just going to go through those this morning and talk a little bit about what strategic development is, some of the new things that are kind of happening in the Lighthouse um, to do with that. So the first goal for the strategic development team for this first little period of time is to build a home for our family. So uh, we obviously purchased that piece of land up the road. So that's one of our, our key aims at the moment. Um, the next one is to stimulate a thriving church family economy. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that means in a minute. And the third one is to foster a kingdom business culture and community um, in this area. And so they're the, the kind of three things that fall under this banner at the, at the moment. So it's not called the kind of business group, and it's not called the land group, and it's not called uh, expansion um, or anything like that. We've just kind of given it this title because it just kind of sums up a, a way of thinking um, that, we'll be, that we'll be using to kind of achieve these, these goals. And these goals will change over time, but these are our initial things. So, build a home for our family. Okay, this is one that we can all get really, really excited about. So, this is Phil Reed holding the keys uh, to Area F. So, if you cast your minds back maybe, uh, I think, a year or so ago, we didn't own that piece of land up there. And today we do. Today we own that piece of land up there. That's amazing. That's something that we should really celebrate. Because there was a moment where we were looking at that piece of land that we've had all this kind of like words and God was really speaking to us about it and all that kind of stuff and it looked like it was going to finish it looked like someone else was going to buy that land and we had this moment where we actually we had to do something we had to say yeah we're going to get it but we didn't have the money we actually didn't have the money to buy that land and it was getting to the point where the guy that was selling it you know he'd had this really good uh he'd been really good to us that whole time, but we needed to actually do something. We couldn't just go kind of, oh, yeah, I'll probably, yeah, we'll probably, hopefully we will buy it in faith, we'll buy it, you know. But we needed to actually do something about it. And what happened was we kind of got together a few different people and um, someone had a word that the money was in the church, actually, that the money was there in the church, that there were people in the church that were going to be able to give this money. And when you kind of totted up what that was going to be with the VAT bill that we then got back, but we had to kind of make that happen, it was pretty much like £800,000. It was like, it was the best part of a million. And we had in the bank about 120, 150, you know, kind of about 20% of that, 20 to 25% of that. And uh, we needed it like soon. We needed it within a month. Now, I don't know about you. I haven't actually had to raise £700,000 in a month before. Um, you know, for those of you who are self-employed, you know, sometimes the rent seems like, you know, a big, big, big thing. So we had to get this money and we, we prayed about it. We met together. We talked about the, the story of it. We, we talked about this idea that we need to change the perception of the land project from it being Phil's vision to being our vision, that it was going to be our land, that we weren't just raising money for someone else's dream, but this was a dream that we could all buy into and a place that we could all be, and it's a home for our family. And that's what happened, and people, um, people were in, like amazing <laughs> with their finances. Utterly amazing. People gave thousands and thousands of pounds to sow into this vision, not because they felt guilty, not because they were tricked into it or anything like that, not because of anything else like than that, not even to look good, because all the donations were anonymous. It was purely about investing in that piece of land up there. And um, that's what happened. So now we own that piece of land. We own the keys. We can go in there and we can do that kind of stuff. But if we just zoom out from this picture with this lovely 
portrait mode effect, you can see there's a lot of work to be done. It's not, uh, it's not like a building that we can just move into. It's not a piece of land that we've just purchased and we can walk into. It is a, uh, it's pretty run down. It's pretty destroyed. It's a, it's a place that needs to basically be, be level before we can do anything. So some work has been done already. Um, we kind of did a few bits that we could uh, and kind of cleared a few bits out. And uh, there was an amazing group of people that came and just donated their time for free. We had a tree surgeon. We basically did a whole bunch of stuff uh, that we could do. There's a lot of moving parts here to this kind of scale of project. Um, but what I wanted to do was just show you, because that, that picture in the building there kind of looks like, oh my gosh, have we bought like a crack den? <laughs> like what have we bought? But when you see it from this perspective, just here, at the back of uh, the boundary, there's actually more out this way. You start to see the scale of it. That's the front gate just there. And you're coming all the way back. That's the building that Phil was in just there. And this is my lovely wife just here. And the reason that I took this photo and I put this photo up this morning is because that's my lovely wife and that's my son who's, uh, who's just at the back just there. And I wanted to take that photo because um, I wanted to remember in the future, when Ari's like 15 or 18 or even 20 or 30, I wanted to point him back to this photo, this building that's been a massive part of his life and has just fed into him and shown him all this stuff. Potentially, he's even bringing his own kids there, depending on you know where we are in the world and all that kind of stuff. But I want to sh <laughs> show him this photo and say, we stood on that land when you were in your mother's tummy. You were there. And look what it looked like. And look look what happened. And I want to show him that because I want to build his faith for the next thing that he does. For when he needs to raise 100 million to build something even bigger, I want to say, do you know what? This is, this is what we did. And you can stand on our shoulders. Um, so that's what we've got to do. <laughs> we're gonna, we're, this, is, this is our land. And it's something to be proud of. And it's going to be, uh, in terms of updating on that, We'll talk about a bit more about that soon, but we're currently looking to essentially demolish all the buildings and get it kind of flattened back um, and get it to a point where we can get the, the detailed plans done and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we've been talking to a few different people, and there's some great uh, people who are Christians <laughs> in the building industry who are people that we're actually we're working with on a professional basis, but actually can see the vision of it as well. When we talk to them about it, they, they understand that we're doing this on faith, and we are doing this on faith. Now, I just wanted to show this picture as well. This image just here is by the lovely Mandy Waite. And uh, this is, if we just kind of go from, from here <laughs> to this, I just wanted to give you a little picture of what this building is going to sort of look like. It's not, um, it's not a f kind of like final rendering or anything like that. This is an artist's impression of what this building is going to look like. And you can see that it's just going to transform that space. This is going to be like a, a building that we're going to be able to, um, to worship in and be together as family, to feed into the local community from for years and years and years to come. Uh, and I just wanted to share that with you this morning um, before we kind of send it back to the architects and they can approve it because uh, it can be quite hard to visualize it, right? It can be quite hard to kind of see <laughs> that piece of land and see where it's going. But I just really wanted us to kind of um, to all be part of that this morning. But it is a journey. It's a journey of faith. So we're not at a position right now where we have like millions of pounds. So, you know, this, uh, this building just here is beautiful. But, like, quite honestly, if you look at just the square footage and you do, like, a, a, a normal calculation of uh, you know, how building guys kind of scope this stuff out, that's a £7 million building. And then uh, within that, we've got to kind of obviously put in, like, a nice PA, chairs. You wouldn't believe how much chairs cost, you know? <laughs> like, um, and, and there's all these kind of things that go with it. So we're looking at probably closer to 8 or £9 million actually, by the time we've done all of these different things. Now, I don't know about you. I had very little experience of doing £700,000 and raising that. I can bank that now because we've done that. We can all bank that because we've all done that. Now we need to have essentially like 100, 10 times the faith. And uh, that's, that's not just something that's going to happen overnight. So I just wanted to kind of like manage the expectation that, yes, this is the building that we're aiming for. This is the land that we've got. But the journey between those two points is not clear-cut for us. It's not like we've got this team. We, we do have a team, but we've not got this team and the money to make it happen. We know what we need to do, but the money is the sticking point. And um, so if kind of sometimes you think, oh, it looks a bit slow, or maybe stuff's not happening up at the land project, use that as an opportunity to pray in the money. Every single time you kind of go past that and you kind of go, oh, I wonder what's happening there. Pray in the money. 
praying the money every single time because we want to do this in a way that isn't a, um, a detriment to future generations and saddle them with huge amounts of debt. And we don't want it to be that we then have to run the building in a certain way in order to meet costs and meet mortgage payments and things like that. We want that building to serve the purposes that God has ordained for it and not compromise along the way and try and solve things in, in a human way of doing things. Because quite honestly... Okay, seven million's a bit bit tough, but actually raising a portion of that in human terms is is you know not beyond <laughs> the, the our resources. But it, it's in a way that will compromise us in the future, possibly. So we want to do it in a way in partnership with God. The other point I want to make here is this: this is a journey of faith. So Rainer had a great word that the, this building process, that uh, the benefits of this building are, qu- are apparent to our family. That it's going to be a great community space where we can all be. But the journey is of benefit to our whole family as well. That through the journey, the blessing of that building will start to unfold and manifest in us as people and as a family and as a group. So I just really wanted to kind of put out there that this is a journey. It's not clear cut. And we're all part of it. We're all responsible for it. We're all responsible for praying and the rest of that money. It's not how are Sam and Phil going to raise that money because we can't, we can't just magic that up. That can't happen. And equally... It's not going to be okay. I worked out that, you know, if you kind of scope the church at about 250,000, I think it's about 29,000, something like that. Someone else could do the the maths, but I just did it the other day to work it out. But, like, each person, including the children, would have to find 29,000 pounds, you know. Um, So that, that, you know, personally, that's beyond our resources. So the key point there is that this is a journey of faith. We're going to enjoy that journey together. It's not going to be stressful in Jesus' name. And it's going to be... it's going to be something we can all benefit from along the way, but it's all of our responsibility, and we're all going to see that money. And this is going to be a testimony that we can all share, and a testimony for all of us, so that when our children's children look back and see the photos and see the people that raised it, they're going to be astounded, and their faith level is going to be just raised, ready for them to do 100 times what we've done. Number two, stimulate a thriving church family economy. What do I mean by that? I want to talk a little bit about money, just really, really briefly, and just share something about money that has really helped me, because I kind of uh, think that this has shone a light on money um, in a way that uh, I didn't quite understand before. So uh, they say that love of money is the, is the root of all evil, and uh, not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And that's because money competes for our hearts And the reason it competes for our hearts is because it requires our belief in order to exist. So to just break that down further, quick history lesson on money. Okay, if you were like a a guy down by the Nile (laughs) at the kind of like um, the birth of agriculture, if you wanted to trade something, you would literally trade something of value. So if I've got some grain and you've got a cow, I can go, well, yeah, that cow's probably worth about that sort of grain. And we can do a transference of value there. And I walk away with a cow. My friend walks away with the grain. We're all happy, okay? There's nothing abstract about that. That is a transference of value. But the problem came with money that uh, cows, grain, pretty easy to move. Fields, buildings, thousands of cows, all of these different things. Uh, what if you wanted to buy some cows here and then you wanted, sorry, sell some cows here and then you wanted to buy something in this other city? You would have to take your cows all that way and find, find that stuff there. So what happened was we came up with a human system and it's a human system. It's not a natural system that didn't just exist. We came up with it and it was a system for basically uh, standing in for that transference of value, okay? So what's happened with money is that we've removed the kind of uh, physical representation of what what is happening there. So I, uh, if I work in an office, I sell my time, and then I can use that to buy food instead of just using my time to grow food, okay? So it's a transference of value. That's what's happened. Now, uh, the global economy, that requires faith to exist, Okay. So uh, if I sell my time every single day, I have faith that what I've been given for that time will allow me to go to the shop and buy food. And what happens when economies collapse is basically people lose faith in the economy, and then you can't buy food, and then people don't want to work, and that's, that's what happens. But it's a faith-based system. And the, uh, the, the global economy 
is the world's largest faith system. It's something that everyone agrees on. Jews, Muslims, Christians, anyone for, like, for most of history has agreed that money, money works, that money has value. And during the Crusades, you had um, Muslim fighters using Christian coins with crosses on, and you had uh, Christian fighters using Muslim coins. They were just using money. They just, it, it, it was almost outside of things. So it requires our belief to order, in order to exist. It requires our, that to, to exist. And it's hungry for it. It needs it. Because the more that we put our faith in it, the more the economy can, can grow and all that kind of thing. Capitalism is based on the faith that the future is better than today. That's how the debt system works. That's how all these things work. It's a faith system. And I just want to break that down so that you know that what you're battling is not a material thing, but it's battling for your heart because it requires your heart in order for it to, to exist. You see what I'm saying? Now, we can break out of that. We can have that kind of like matrix moment where we kind of see through it. And we can then just start to use money as a tool. When we start kind of take away that faith element of it and we just go, do you know what? This is just a transference of value. This is all I'm doing is I'm just transferring value from one place to another. We start to see our money really, really differently. Um, that's been really helpful for me. It's kind of broken down um, a lot of my kind of like wanting to like kind of acquire money or, or, or uh, I think savings good, but to you know have huge storehouses of money because I'm like, well, what's that, what's that money for? If money's a tool... Actually, the thing at the end of it is the thing I want, not the, not the money itself. This is a great uh, quote by Epictetus. Um, I'm not sure if he was just Titus, then he did something really awesome, and then he was Epictetus. Um, but he says that wealth consists not in having great possessions, but in having few wants. And this is another statement that's completely transformed my life, that uh, I, I don't need lots of possessions to exist. I just need to reduce the amount of wants. And I don't need to increase the amount of uh, stuff I have and fill those gaps because the wants will just be endless. What I want to do is I want to work on the part of me that, that wants all these things and ask, why? Why do I want all these things? Because that's easier, quite frankly. Uh, it's easier to, to do that, to try and fulfill it, because you're just on this end thing. I was talking to Matt Valentine this morning about guitars. I'm saying that the correct number of guitars to have is whatever you have right now plus one. That is the <laughs> that's the amount of guitars that you that you uh, that you want. Yeah, and it, it works for a lot of things. So when I say a thriving church economy, I'm not talking about all of us showing up to church in f- you know flashy cars, in uh, kind of like Gucci suits, and uh, you know, like it's not about wealth. Okay, uh, sorry, it's not about money. It's about thriving. Okay, that's what I mean by that. I don't. I really want to make make it very clear that I am a. I, I'm not like preaching a prosperity thing here. I think that that like that phrase has got a loaded loaded meaning. If you have a real problem with it, I would just check your check your heart and see what's going on there. But there is. Um, Money without responsibility is probably the thing that I'm, I'm talking about here. That it's about um, it's about thriving, not just money. It's about your whole life, not just the money that you have. There have been times that me and Beth have been staying at a five-star hotel in Wales for our anniversary, and we bought that kind of like a dinner, uh, you know, a night in a dinner stay, and lovely in a five-star hotel. And we've uh, we've been laughing because we've been sat in the hotel foyer, and we're in this beautiful place called the Celtic Manor. Um, up in Wales, it's where they have the Ryder Cup. It's one of our favourite places to just be, and uh, we've been there because we managed to like find a deal and kind of like go away for the night. And we haven't got money in our bank account to buy a drink in the bar. <laughs> okay, Th- and we've laughed at that because we are so rich when our money is low in our bank account. We get to do these amazing things. We've got to do like incredible things, like go away for the weekend, travel, go on holiday, all of these things, and quite often with no money in the bank account. Wealth is not the amount of money that you have in the bank account. It is your whole life. It's your whole whole experience just there. So I want to talk a little bit about the dreams of a father for his children, because I think this is what a thriving church economy looks like. Um, I think that becoming a father is one of, the <laughs> one of the most amazing things for kind of showing you the heart of God. Because up until now, if someone pooed on me at 4.30 in the morning and then laughed, I wouldn't be the cheeriest of people. However, if my son does that at 4.30 in the morning and poos on me and then, I, then laughs about it, my response is, you are awesome. I love you so much. <laughs> Genuinely, that is my response. 
because I love him so much and I look past the kind of what he's just done and kind of like all that kind of stuff and how I'm feeling, all that sort of stuff because I'm his father and he is my son and I love him more than anything. And I love him beyond the circumstances. I love him beyond what he does. And my heart for him is to thrive every single day and I want to give everything that I can to making that happen. I want to put my phone down when I'm with him and look into his eyes and feed into him and read to him and all these kinds of things because I want him to thrive. I'm looking, not what he's like now, is this little cuddly, beautiful thing. He's just, I, um, I, like, I look to him as a man and so I'm thinking about how I'm going to, you know, I want to see him thrive. And that's what God wants for us as his children. He doesn't want to just like give us a load of money and say, go wild. He wants to see us thrive. He wants to see us free and thriving and enjoying a whole life and meeting our potential and all of these different things. But he doesn't actually care how much money we've got in our bank as long as we're happy. You see, because my mum and dad are awesome because when I wanted to leave my, what we thought was a you know, stable job and Beth did the same, we wanted to start our own business, they didn't look at us and go, you're absolutely mad. They said, come and live with us. And we did. And we lived with them for a year. And they did that because they didn't look at the money we had in our bank account. They knew that our happiness was more than that and that actually uh, freedom for us was, was more important. That's the dreams of a father for his children. I love, sorry, I'm just going to go back to this photo. I love this photo. It's, if you can't see it, there's a dad just there and a boy just there and they're just staring at the ocean. And I just, as I saw it, I just thought it was such a prophetic picture of, a, of, of God the Father standing on just the, the edge of creation with his son and just saying, I made all of this for you. I made all of this for you. You see that little rock over there that you've just noticed? I made that for you. All of that. It's all for you. Amazing. So these are the three things within the kind of thriving church economy that I really want to kind of see, see happen and birth through. I want to see revival for worn out dreamers to dream again. So if you are someone that feels you've just been completely knocked down and uh, you are, your heart is just so like <laughs> rock. <laughs> you can't like dream. You can't think anymore about, uh, about doing something new. Um, I also want to see freedom for those in debt and financial burden. So I, I would love it. In fact, my, just my heart is just for people to be free from debt because I know that it changes the way that you do things. And I know that it changes uh, the decisions that you make because you have this, uh, this commitment. And the way that uh, you know, contract law works is, is all about punishment. The language of financial contracts is punishment. And... Um, also, I want to see a resource for mission. I want to see kind of uh, money come through to enable people to, um, to go out and do what they were called to do and not have to worry about money in order to do it. I don't want Andy Game in Japan to have to be spending 50% of his time finding money. I want him to do the work that he's, you know, he's set out to do. I want to see people be just like free to do that stuff. Um, so, uh, if you are, if you fall into any of those categories, I want you to stand. So I am, I'm all three. <laughs> if just if you feel a bit embarrassed, I I have felt that top one just there. I've handed in my notice to my business because of that, and I want to. I'm basically saying I want to do something radical with God. I want to kind of be free to partner with God with my finances, with my work, and all those kinds of things. And I didn't feel that my current business let me do that. So. I'm, I'm there. I was there. I did something radical. Um, freedom for those in debt. We have debts, and I want to I see that free. And I've declared that this year I'm going to be debt-free. And Debs Aplin and Tim Aplin did that. And guess what they are this year? They had a huge credit card bill just, like, like gone. It's amazing. That, that testimony's there. And a resource for mission. I want to see uh, people free to go do that sort of stuff. So right now, just o open your hearts, open your hands, whatever just allows you to receive. And we're just going to declare that there is, uh, there is enough, there is more than enough, that the hearts of people who are worn down, who feel like they are under immense financial burden and stress, and also the, the kind of the fear of not having enough, even when they do have enough, that kind of poverty mentality, and people that have just got a heart for mission that are asking, do you know what, I'd love to go there, I feel like God's calling me there, but where's the money going to come from, and they stop dead. I just pray, Lord, that all of those full stops all of those things that stop people, that, that stop their hearts from dreaming, stop them from hearing from you, stop them being uh, the people that you've called them to be, the blockages 
to what you have for people, the blockages to thriving um, thriving people, thriving sons and daughters. Lord, I pray you would lift them in Jesus' name and we declare freedom from debt. We declare that there is always enough. We declare for uh, generous hearts and we declare uh, generous wealth over these, these people. And we pray uh, for seed, Lord, for everyone who uh, has something that they want to do and they just need some seed to get going. I pray, Lord, that you would just place that in their, in their hands and show them that that is what that is for and give them permission to invest in the future. Amen. All right, we'll sit down. Thank you. Um, yeah. Last thing. Foster a kingdom business culture and community. So this is separate from that last one because I don't want people to kind of think like, oh, Sam's talking about business now. I'm, I'm not really interested in business and kind of all that kind of stuff. All of us live within the world economy. Even if you uh, have checked out of capitalism, you can't. You, you know, if you want to eat, <laughs> you, you are in the capitalist system. Um, uh, but this one just here is specifically for people who, are, uh, who feel that God is calling them to, uh, to do something in, in the business. So uh, Stephen Kim Beaumont came across from Bethel um, recently, and they, they were great, and um, they were just awesome people to get to know, and uh, they really kind of uh, spoke to me, both in the front, but also just in person. We, we had a few conversations about what we were planning on doing here. And one of the things that Steve said is that the marketplace is the heart of the city. If you go to any, um, uh, particularly in parts of the world where we don't have, they don't have supermarkets uh, so much there, the market really is kind of the heart of the city. But even still, if you think about town centres and all that kind of stuff, when the shops dry up of, a, of an end of town, the life really dries up. Um, the marketplace is the heart of the city. It's the place where people congregate. It's the place where people come together. Um, and it's a place that should be full of life and full of relationship and full of connection. Um, but again, because of the, you know, the way that we've kind of things have happened in, in the, the West, we've kind of become a bit separate from that. But the original heart of the marketplace is people people trading, people kind of like bringing things of value and trading for them for things of value, of people working together to do something that's beyond, um, beyond something they could do by themselves. That's the original heart of the marketplace. So I want to see that marketplace, but I want to see it a, li uh, a little bit differently because instead of a road running through the middle, I want to see a river. I want to see a river running through the middle. This is in Thailand where they build these markets that kind of are like on stilts. And they are, they're on a river. Um, and I want, to I want us to think about establishing businesses by, by the river. So if you think about like a lot of market towns, they often have like uh, a river running through them. If you think about like Wareham, it's got that beautiful river running through it. If you think about Blanford, it's got the Stour running through it. Uh, Wimborne, I think, yeah, Wimborne's got a bit of river. Um, there's, there's loads and loads of places around, but if you, you'd be hard-pressed to think of uh, a thriving market town that doesn't at least have a river near it, because it's the river that brought uh, prosperity and wealth to those places. The river brought it. And if you moved this place just here away from the river, it wouldn't thrive. It'd just be, there'd be no one there. There'd be no, nothing there to do. It would just be like a bunch of shops. And what I want us to do is to think about our businesses and our jobs and, and how we're working for money, basically. Um, anyone who is earning money of any sort, to draw from the river, to see the river as the source, to establish their business next to the river and see that as the reason that their business is thriving and always be reminded of that. In Deuteronomy, it says that when you're in your large houses, remember that it is the Lord that gives you the power to generate wealth. And the way that you do that is that you stay by the river. I've been thinking a lot about like how do you deal with prosperity? Like often when you're like right up against the the edge, you can feel so much closer to God because you need Him and you need to pull on Him constantly, and uh, it you can almost like have a fear like oh when I've got when I've got lots of money is that going to be hard to do? And I've been thinking a lot about that kind of stuff. But the the starts with establishing yourself by the river and staying connected to God the whole time and, and establishing your business there. In Ephesians 5, 6, Paul says about redeeming the time. And I was listening to a podcast this week about um, uh, some stuff to do with like, our perceptions of time and, and all that kind of stuff. With uh, It was the, on the Bible Project. And they were saying, talking about the, the meaning of this, this phrase. doesn't mean to like manage your time well and kind of like have a really good checklist and calendar and all that sort of stuff. They said that the meaning of, of that kind of phrase is living as if you are ushering in a new era. 
how powerful is that? Imagine if everything you did, you were living as if you were ushering an, in a new era, as if you were like a surfer on a wave that was just, like, you were just riding it, just kind of like... <laughs> I, to me, that's so exciting, this idea that, like, you could live as if your very life was ushering in a new era. That's amazing. So, creating a, a kingdom business community. What does that mean? If we want to create thriving businesses, so they need to be businesses. They need to be like thriving and earning money. There is a difference between a business and a social enterprise and a charity and all those things, and all those things have a place. But this, this thing I'm talking about is about business. It is about things that make profit. What we do with the profit afterwards, you know, that all that kind of stuff, you can, you can think about that. But this is about uh, creating businesses that are profit because that's the definition of of a business. A business is nothing without a customer or profit. You don't have a business unless you have those things. It's about partnering together. It's about bringing businesses together and people who have a heart for business and people who have a heart for um, uh, investments and, and all of these kind of things. Thing, people that have a heart for that stuff coming together, supporting each other and helping us be s established by the river. Helping us stay accountable and, um, and, and being there. It's about modeling kingdom culture. So, so much about business is not about the money that it makes. Yes, that's great that the money can go back into the church and the mission and, and all that kind of stuff. But actually, businesses are an amazing way to transform culture. Because if you don't own your own business here, you, have, you probably have a job or you've had a job or you know someone in a job. And every single one of those places is a place that defines so much of people's reality. Like, if you think that you work 9 to 5, you work 40 hours a week, uh, you know, uh, every week you're giving up like a huge portion of your time and you might be living for retirement and all that kind of stuff but um the that place that place where you are has such like a an ability to affect your mood to affect your dreams to affect so much about you that what if all of those businesses were places that every single day people were going into and that their the way that their boss treated them showed them the father heart of god every single day imagine that Imagine if they weren't Christians yet, but the relationship between a boss and employer was, uh, was feeding into those people. And the last part there is seeking revelation and wisdom. And uh, Peter Stott said to this this week, uh, some of the, the leaders met together, and he said that revelation is knowing uh, the what. It's kind of hearing the what, and wisdom is the kind of how and the when. And it's seeking those things at the right time. Um, so we've got a few things going on. So um, we're starting to establish something called a marketplace prophetic team. So that is a group of people from the prophetic team who are um, listening out for prophetic words for specific businesses. Um, and those businesses are kind of journaling and listening to God as well and kind of just directly seeking his revelation. And then we're also going to be pulling together a, a group of people who have a heart for transforming business and transforming culture through business in the marketplace as well. And there's some things that we're going to practically do to, to start thinking about these things together. Uh, I read a book recently, and it was called The Mom Test. The Mom to M-O-M, as in the American way of saying mum. And um, it had a, f uh, a line in it that said, learning is the goal, revenue is a byproduct. And that's a different way of thinking of business, that in the early days of your business, the most important thing is that you actually learn about your business. You learn what it is, you learn about the customer, you learn about all these different things. And in those early days, relationship and learning is the goal and revenue is the byproduct. And that's what I really, s that's my heart for, uh, for all of our businesses, that learning and growth and relationship, they're actually the goal, and revenue is the byproduct. That's the thing that comes when we, um, when we pursue something higher and we pursue the kingdom heart of God in our businesses. I just love that image because the, mo <laughs> the mother's like kind of, or the father's working in the background just there, and this little girl's just playing in the mud. And um, it's just a really great image of uh, the fact that you don't need to like strive every day. You don't need to be kind of like head down working like that. Your life can look totally different. If you want to work four days a week, fine. Like, work four days a week. Don't wait until retirement to do that. Just find a way of working four days a week and just have faith of doing that. It's okay to not have to work all the time. It's good to work hard, but it shouldn't be, like, ruining your life. Okay, so that's it. One, build a home for our family. Two, stimulate a thriving church family economy. And three, fostering a kingdom business culture and community. If you want to talk to me about any of those things, my email address for this sort of stuff is sam.gowdy at thelighthouse.org.uk. So it's just specifically the last two. If you want to um, talk to us about the Marketplace Prophetic Team and you want to kind of start wondering how do I seek like, God's revelation for uh, the heart of my business, what does God say about my business, what's kind of happening going forward, we've got a system in place, 
um, which means that we'll walk through that with you as well so that it's not kind of, <laughs> you know, misinterpreting a prophetic word can't ruin your life, you know, sort of thing. We're going to you know, do that in relationship. And uh, the other thing I'd love to talk to you about is if you've got a real heart for kingdom business, transforming the marketplace, um, for all of those things, um, just email me. Because um, at the end of church, sometimes it's quite hard to kind of catch everyone. I've got a little three-month-old, all of that sort of stuff. So email is the best place to just grab me on that kind of stuff. And we'll have a conversation. And if you want to meet up and have a coffee and talk about your business, that's great. Um, you know, I, I run my own business. I know it's hard. I know all that kind of stuff. I'm not an expert in things, but I, I love talking to people about this stuff. When Jen talks about her business at the front today, that just, like, fills me with so much life. I love that. Cool. Well done. Now you get to listen to my wife. Who's much better looking. Okay. Thank you, Sam. It was great, wasn't it? Wow. Thank you, Sam. Hello, Beth. Hello. This is lovely. Okay, ready? Okay, let's just pray for Beth before she speaks. Yeah. Lord, thank you for Beth. This lovely lady. Thank you so much, Lord. We pray you anoint her words and that as she blesses us, you would bless her in Jesus' name. Hello. Um, oh, it's up. Through this talk, you might find yourself asking, how does this link to what Sam's been saying? And I'm just going to tell you now, it doesn't in any way. Um, we Sam, Sam was bringing forward, as he just has so well, um, the strategic development side of things. And I'm just going to share something on our monthly theme. I was going to say topic, but theme is a nicer word, isn't it? Um, which is loving yourself um, or loving your real self. I'm going to start us off with a game which might shake things up a bit as we introduce a completely new topic. Uh, the game is called Never Have I Ever. <laughs> Hands up who's ever played that before. Okay, I'm going to list a bunch of things that I've never done, but if you've done them, I want you to put your hand up. Okay? I don't know which way's down. That way. Okay. So I'm going to read a statement. It only works if you join in. So if you have done this thing, you've got to admit to it, okay? <laughs> so for, for example, I might say, never have I ever skydived. <laughs> and if you have, oh, cool, two. <laughs> but it's not that kind of thing, as you'll see. Never have I ever worried what somebody thinks of me. So if you have done that, you need to put your hand up. I've never done it, but if you have, you need to put your hand up. <laughs> okay, hand back down. Never have I ever said something I didn't mean. Some good honesty in this house. If you've done it, you've got to put your hand up. If you've said something you didn't mean, you've got to put your hand up. I've never done it, but you, if you've done it, you've got to put your hand up. Never have I ever done something I didn't want to do. So if you've done something you didn't want to do, put your hand up. <laughs> Hands back down. Never have I ever repeatedly done something I didn't want to do. <laughs> Never have I ever not done something I did want to do. So you haven't done something even though you wanted to do it. <laughs> Never have I ever not said something I did want to say. Cool. Thanks for your honesty. I'm going to be honest now and tell you I have done all of those things many times, but it wouldn't have worked for the game if I'd have said it at the start. <laughs> We've all done this stuff so many times, haven't we? And we're not alone. I'm going to unpack a little bit of Romans 7. Even reading this kind of fries my brain a bit, and I've been trying to take it line by line to, to break it up a bit. So we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. So Paul would have had his hand up too. There's a great book called The Chimp Paradox. Has anybody read it out of interest? By Dr. Steve Peters. Um, it's actu actually, it's a mind management program. Um, he uses it with a lot of professional athletes, businesses, um, 
loads of people attribute a lot of their success to this mind model. Um, Sir Chris Hoy is on the front of the book there. I think Bradley Wiggins is another one. But a lot of cyclists, a lot of professional athletes, they really love this book or this, this process, this way of thinking. Um, I read this book when I was about 20 at a time when I really needed to understand my mind a bit better. I, I read a lot of books in that time. Um, but this one, I always bring back this one if I'm talking about this kind of stuff because it just made such an impact on me. Uh, there's some psychologists in the room, I, f I believe. I'm not looking over there who know far more about the mind than me, but I'm going to just sh introduce this uh, mind model to you so that we can look at this a little bit further. So, in the book, with some really high-tech drawings, uh, they break, or he breaks up the brain into three sections that we need to focus on. So at the front of the brain, I'm going to come over this side, at the front of the brain is the frontal lobe, and that's the human. So we're going to refer to that as the human, okay? in the front, it lives in the front there. In the limbic system, is that right? Yeah? Is our chimp, and I'm gonna talk about the chimp mostly in a moment. And then up here is the computer. So, this is our brain. The human, the chimp, the computer. You with me? Okay. So the human is you. So in, in, in terms of your brain, it's a very simplified version of how your mind works, how your brain works. But in the frontal lobe, the human, that is you, so that's who you are. Say who I am. That's you, you're human. If you, you, as a human, you think logically and rationally. But the chimp, who lives in the middle there, that's the emotional machine that every one of us is born with. It helps to name the chimp, as you might see in a moment. The chimp is something that is not, uh, is not good or bad, it's just a chimp. It thinks irrationally, so irrationally, whereas the human thinks rationally. Um, in real life, a chimp, they say, is about five to eight times stronger than a human. And it's good to think of our emotional chimp in the same way. It's a much stronger part of the brain than the human. Um, what else do I need to tell you about the chimp? It can be your best friend or your worst enemy. It can work for you or it can work against you. You can't do anything about having a chimp, but the mind model in this book teaches you how to control your chimp and let it work for you so that you can be best buds with the chimp and that it doesn't uh, run your life for you. And it can actually run your life for you, not very well, but it can do it. So it's very possible to live out of that emotional machine. Are you following me? <laughs> okay, good. I often say to Sam, it's my chimp, sorry. But on that note, we can't use the chimp as an excuse. Um, we are responsible for our chimp. So it's the reason, the chimp is the reason that you might come to church one Sunday morning and somebody that usually smiles at you didn't smile at you that week. Then all of a sudden you're thinking, why haven't they smiled at me? Have I upset them? What have I done? Do they not like me anymore? Why don't they like me? Does anybody like me? Maybe no one likes me here. We can't stay here anymore. Sam, let's have a look at somewhere else to go. What about China? Let's move to China. <laughs> That's not a true story. <laughs> or is it? Um, the chimp is the reason that we can all of a sudden just be in a chaotic place because of something small that happened. Whereas if the human was controlling that moment, the human part of the brain, we might say, oh, they were probably just busy. They probably had something else on their mind. They might not have even seen me. It's fine. I'll just see them in a moment. You see the difference? Can anybody relate to that happening? Yeah? The chimp is the reason that we might see on Facebook that someone's gone out for a really long morning walk on a Saturday morning. And you think to yourself, oh, I wish I was someone that walked and not someone that stays on the sofa watching reruns of Graham Norton. <laughs> but the chimp might be the reason, that's mine is Sam's favorite thing on a Saturday at the moment. Um, the chimp is the reason that you might get up in the morning and think, oh, I, I wish we could go for a walk. I wish we would go for a walk this morning, but I don't feel like it. So the chimp could stop you doing the thing that the human part of you would love to really do. You with me? Cool. So the way that it works, um, if you're interested in this, the book's a really good read. I hope I'm, I hope I'm sounding psy psychologically accurate here, ish. The way that the book works is that, in a lot more depth, it explains that in a moment the chimp and the human are often battling. So when something happens, if your chimp is the first to respond, five times stronger than the human, 
it's likely to respond in an irrational way. So the chimp might be looking for something wrong with what's going on. Is it, is it something I should be afraid of? And then respond, fight, flight, or freeze, panic. Then oftentimes, it's all gone out of control. Or you, or you just haven't done the thing you'd love to do in that moment. Or you said something. I've done it loads of times where I'm in the middle of saying something, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't even mean this. Why am I saying this? It's because the chimp's just gone, ah, they're attacking us. Um, if the chimp gets to it first, it tells the human, uh, sorry, it tells the computer that next time this happens, this is how we respond. So next time someone compliments you, we've learned that they probably don't mean it, so we need to be all defensive about it. But the next time, well, I don't know, I, can't, I could reel off some examples, but I, for time's sake, won't. The chimp tells your computer what to do next time. So then that's why we often have knee-jerk responses if we're in traffic, someone cuts us up. It's so often that, like for some reason we get in the car and like everything's out the window, isn't it? We're like, ah! It's because we've learned that probably that the first time that happened, we were afraid. So if somebody did something that was a bit dangerous on the road, we might have learned fear. Then the next time, and then we just start beeping the horn and saying all kinds of stuff. If a human was really in control, we might think, ah, do you know what? I've done that a lot of times. They probably didn't see me come in. Or something like, you know, we can think of it in a much more rational way. The computer learns how to respond. So as we learn to respond more from our human, who we really are, our life kind of becomes a lot more easygoing, a lot more successful, as the book talks about. Our relationships. For me, relationships is a big... Is a, I use this a lot with my relationships because uh, the examples I've used there, I guess, show that. Um, often in conversations... It can be the chimp that ends up running the show when really we want it to be the human. So that's the chimp paradox. The paradox is that it can either be your best friend or your worst enemy. And it's all about managing it. And we are still responsible for what we do, whether it's our chimp or our human. The good news in this book for me, the, the, the news that, the thing that I feel like I need to share this morning and the thing that I read that really helped me, um, I was just all of a sudden really struck with... Um, intrusive thoughts and things that just came out of nowhere and I didn't know what was going on. It hit, I was early 20s, never had anything like it, freaked me out. I needed to learn about my brain. That's, that was my story of how I ended up reading this book. And in the book, it taught me that if you don't like something, it's not you because you don't like it. Are you with me? So if you do something and you d wish you didn't do it, the real you isn't the person that did that thing. Who you are didn't like it. Are you with me? And that bit of revelation, um, outside of Jesus, is the thing that set me free from that stuff because I, it made me believe all kinds of things about myself that weren't true. If you don't like it, your human doesn't like it, it's not who you are. And likewise, if you do want to be a certain way, and in the moment you just keep dropping the ball, who you are is the person that wants to be that way, and you can learn how to be that way. It's good news, really good news, isn't it? We're not defined by our actions at all. We're defined by who we really are. So let's go back to Paul. And I'm kind of going to park the chimp thing here because the parallels don't work exactly theologically correctly. So <laughs> keep thinking that way, but it's not exactly, uh, it's not going to translate perfectly. But let's go back to Romans 7. So this is verses 18 to 20. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is my sinful nature. In my sinful nature, sorry. Let me just read that again. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I, the real me, who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Which is really good news, isn't it? It's great news, in fact. So the great news is that the moment that we accept Jesus into our lives, the moment we align our lives with him, the moment that we take on his identity, it happens in a moment. We are no longer defined by the sinful nature that we've been living with. We're defined by his identity. We're defined by his perfection, his holiness, his royalty, his fun, his joy. We're defined by Jesus. 
not the things we do that we wish we didn't do, that we keep on doing. And it's really important that we don't use that as a get-out-of-jail-free card, if you know what I mean. We, we, we can't say, oh, it's, it's not me, it's my sinful, it's my chimp. We, we are, once we meet with Jesus, we, we can't help but want to be like him, can we? When we really see him, we want to be like him. We want to live a life that shines him. So our behavior, we want to behave as Jesus did. We want to live like Jesus did, as Jesus does. So it's not about just excusing everything because we are called to be like Jesus. And that's such an exciting thing to aim for, isn't it? The great news is that we're defined by him, not by what we do. So that's your real self. Some of the things that um, came up. In Jesus, we're a new creation. We're set free and righteous. We're filled with peace. We're God's masterpiece. And so many other things that you know, we can find in the Bible that about who we really are. Our identity is in him. So our theme this month is loving yourself. And when it talks about loving yourself, it might be easy to go, yeah, but no one knows what I did last night. No one knows what I did yesterday. Or everybody knows what I did yesterday. <laughs> or a whole bunch of things that we think make it hard to love us. That's not the you that you're loving. You're loving the real you, who you really are. And when you learn to love yourself that way, imagine what that does for how we can see other people as well. It's an amazing thing. So who you really are, loving your real self, is easy because you're amazing. And if you don't know who you really are, just have a look who Jesus really is because that's who you really are. So thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'll finish there. Okay, let's wait a minute. How about you pray for us, Beth? Absolutely. Yeah, Jesus, we just thank you so much for that. Absolutely incredible truth. There's, there's no words that can describe how good that news is, how great that news is. Um, I just pray that every heart here would just go deeper in knowing who they really are in you. And that as we learn how to love who we are in you, that would just do wonders for our life. Take us deeper and deeper and higher and higher in the potential that that does for our, our happiness, our relationships, our family life, everything about our life, the immense impact that that truth has on it. I just pray that we would all grow so much in that and that as we do that, it will just not be able to not overflow into the lives of the people that we meet. Amen. That's great. Thank you, Beth. Another round of applause, I think. Thank you, Gaudis. That was wonderful. Really excellent. Thank you so much. Okay, we're going to bring the meeting to a close at this point because I think the children are about ready to come back in again.